Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the Archive. Uh, I thought over the holiday week I would uh, post some archival episodes just because um, they're really great, and I thought it'd be nice to shed light on some older episodes I did. Today is um, Rodney Anonymous from the band The Dead Milkman, which for me was a very pivotal moment changer in my musical taste uh, when I got turned on to punk rock music. It was the uh, Bitch and Camaro was on a mixtape a friend of mine made me because he was disappointed to see that I had on my high school folder written Led Zeppelin and The Doors, and he, Dustin Miles was his name, and he was like, hey man, this stuff is bullshit. <laughs> uh, he's like, you, you need to listen to some other music, and he gave me this mixtape, and it, the first song on it was uh, I Saw Your Mommy and Your Mommy's Dead by uh, suicidal tendencies, and there was killed the landlord by the dead Kennedys and bitching Camaro by the dead milkman, and um, I ran out and bought the dead milkman, uh, big lizard in my backyard album, and became obsessed. The uh, dead milkman became one of my favorite bands in that time, and I still have a great deal of fondness for them in my heart, and I always will, uh, and. It, uh, I was doing a touring uh, stand-up in Philly uh, with David Keckner. I, play, I played the Trocadero, and I tweeted at uh, Rodney Anonymous for him to come to the show, uh, and then I'd get him comps and anybody else from the Dead Milken, and unfortunately he was under the weather and he couldn't make it. But uh, when I got back from the tour, I messaged him and I asked him uh, to please do my podcast uh, on on the old Twitter, and he said cool or he said yes and I, I uh, which I thought was really cool because uh which is a lot I found out from the the punk rock folk that that punk rock ethic everybody oh they, they're pretty down to just do these interviews and share their time which I really appreciate and it's a great uh episode I he he we talk about a lot of things and I, I just uh very grateful that this happened so here's now you'll have to endure another intro. I don't know what, but it's pretty close, short, and sweet. So please enjoy my conversation with the great Rodney Anonymous. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. If you uh, like my theme music there, that is a band called Les Blanks. You can check out more of their stuff at lesblanks.com. If this is the first time you're listening to my show, thank you very much. Um, it is just what the title implies there. It's a conversation with me and uh, someone who's far more interesting and who's lived a big, grand life, and uh, I let them do most of the talking. I do a little talking here at the top, but for the most part, if it goes well, I... Um, I, I uh, you know, they do most of the talking and I do the smart thing and listen. Uh, and if you are listening for the first time and you're a fan of the Dead Milkman or Rodney Anonymous, who is my guest today, which is, can I tell you, it is, uh, it's a huge honor because the Dead Milkman were one of those bands that when I heard in, uh, in high school, I was like, oh, we don't have to listen to the doors, do we? There's vibrant, fucking awesome music in the world. And it, it changed uh, it changed me a lot and uh, led me into a direction of discovering a lot of different music. So uh, uh, it's uh, 15-year-old me and 45-year-old me is really thrilled. 
to uh, listen to have Rodney Anonymous on the show. And if if you're a first time listener and you're a fan of the Dead Milkman, uh, you know you can go back. I've I've talked to dudes like David Yao from the Jesus Lizard or Wayne Kramer from the MC5, who's actually coming back on the show in a couple of weeks. So um, you know there's this, there's other episodes you might want to check out. Um, and I'm not going to do a lot of. I sometimes I talk about my life a little bit here at the top of the show. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited to get into this episode because it's really fucking great. Um, sadly we had a saw go off. Uh, it, you know, that's the problem with podcasting. I don't have a big fancy studio. Actually we do, but I don't, I, I'm lazy. So I record these for my house. Uh, so we had a, you know, couple and, and, uh, Rodney had some cat wrangling at the top of the episode, but I, I choose to keep some of that in because it gives it the natural feel and like, Hey, we're just a couple of guys. Uh, talk in there. It is such a great honor to have Rodney Anonymous from the Dead Milkman. Let's listen. Yeah, she's like a, um, definitely a thousand years old, and we just moved in the neighborhood, and the lady next door uh, doesn't really, you know, stay or knew her, so the cat all over the neighborhood. So now she's smelling like male cat for the first time in like 17 years. And she's all excited. And she's up in the window and just kind of sniffing. And yeah, so we've had to deal with her on this constant meow thing. What do you see there, cat? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, so we're, we're exhausted because, I mean, like 4 a.m., she'll come in and start getting in our faces and meowing. Ah, and she just doesn't sleep anymore. And I'm tired on top of, and I've been going full tilt, so I'm tired on top of all of that. So I think I'm, eventually I'm going to pass out. That's a, yeah, if you pass out in the middle of this, we can, I'll just work around it. <laughs> I'll do, I've got my keyboard set, so I will go, I will do like in the Dead Milkman legend, there was this, in the original stories, there was this guy named Richard Nixon, who was the keyboard player. And shit, now what did I do? I just had my, I just, oh, here it is. I lost my Tim whistle for that. Um, and he, Passed out. He died while playing keyboards in the in the band, and so Joe would recreate these things. So there's a song, you know, old song Joe did when he was in high school. Where all of a sudden, you hear this like on the keyboard, and it stays like that for the rest of the song. And that was Richard Nixon dying on the keyboard. So this guy actually died during like what? Like no, no, no. Oh. He didn't exist in begin with. Oh. No, no, no. <laughs> Joe, Joe made up the entire band. So like Joe created the need for the band first. And then he created the band, and that's how we got into it originally, or at least I did. We were just playing part. We're just like, you know, Joe had these newsletters. He's putting them back up on the uh, um, the web. It should be good. And these newsletters, and it was about this band uh, called the Dead Milkman. It started out, I think they were they were the Sunflower Children of God. I actually went back and I made a Sunflower Children of God record. And, um, and just so I could fill it in and... Yeah, now she had closed the door, now she wants out. And then uh, um, they, they became like a couple of different bands. And at one point, they were a band called the Milkmen. And then by the time Punk rolled around, they were called the Dead Milkmen. But at one point during one of the incarnations, they had this guy named Richard Nixon, who was the... It was called Richard Nixon because he'd been high as a kite. And he, uh, um, he woke up and he couldn't remember his name, so he took the first name he did. And he got the first name he saw, and this being the 60s, you know, he saw the newspaper the name Richard Nixon. And then, so Joe would come up with these elaborate things. And and we have to play along. <laughs> that was <laughs> it was kind of odd, yeah. Well, the whole thing started. Joe used to create games, and there was a game between him and his friend Garth. 
and they would just make up bands and songs, and they were like roll dice, and they have like you know fake money and stuff, and they would it was like a game based on payola, and they would do this payola, basically songs up and down the chart. So like all Joe's songs had titles like Joe is so wonderful, Joe is a god, and stuff like that, and all Garth's songs were like I hate Joe, death to Joe, <laughs> and it was like the weirdest. Like, anything's nothing odd about his childhood whatsoever, which is kind of strange. <laughs> By the time I showed up, I was like 17 or so. This has been going on for a couple of years. Oh, come on, Kat. You're either, you're either in or out. And that I don't, was. I don't want you guys started the band pretty much in high school? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty. It was, I think it was. Uh, I got a tape, like, right after New Year's Day. I got a hold of this tape, New Year's Day, 1980. And uh, um, I was like, oh, I so want in on this. It was just completely insane. It was just, you know, it, it, it was total basement noise, you know, just people strumming away on things and, and singing insane stuff. And I was like, oh, I got I have to be part of this. So I sort of forced my way in. I think I just showed up with my banjo. And I was like, okay, I'm in a band now. So, and that's how I got in. Is that was because I don't like where I grew up and in high school, everyone still listening to shitty stuff like The Doors and Led Zeppelin. Oh, it was, it was terrible. That's why Joe started a band. Joe hated Joe hated the stuff that was on the radio. So did I. Um, and I hated it, I think, more than Joe because Joe actually liked the Beatles. So I always hated the Beatles. I mean, I have the seething Richard Hell is like the only person other than myself I've ever come across that hates the Beatles as much as I do. That's oh, yeah, it makes sense. Other than myself, and he, uh, um, and it's weird because in rock and roll, you can't say you hate the Beatles. And Richard Hell hates the I hate the Beatles. I hate it. Oh, just about everything. I liked Motown growing up, and then that was off the radio. And then there was all this crap on the radio. And then I discovered like Cream magazine. So I was reading about these bands I couldn't hear anywhere, which made me even angrier. So I was like, you know, like you could read about the Ramones, but you couldn't hear them on the radio. So that was kind of odd. That um, so I had these, I had these thoughts of like what these bands would sound like if I could hear them, and that's pretty pleased when I finally got to hear them because I was like, I actually think they sounded better than they would in my head. <laughs> well, no, for like the first, I was like a Dead Boys fan for years without ever hearing them. Uh, same with the New York Dolls; I just liked the way they looked. You know what I mean? It's just like these guys were just surly looking, you know, messed up, giving the finger to the camera. Took me rusty motorhead. You know, as I was young and I saw a picture of motorhead, I'm like, oh, I don't know what these guys play, but I'd like to hang out with them. They seem like they have their act pretty much together to me. So that's yeah, I, I you know, I judge fans by how they look. I still do to this day. Doesn't matter by how they look. And I'm usually right. <laughs> well, <laughs> Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Angel Spit. I hope you are, but um, Zoom from Angel Spit was, was basically talking about that. You know, he said, you know, a lot of bands, you can kind of judge them by how it because at least they took the time to get a look together, you know, to look good, or at least to look frightening or what, you know, at least to be interesting. You know, get, get dressed up, you know, make that effort. So that's just my, you know, oh, now the cat's back. Can't, can't make up their own damn mind here. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a lot of... I don't know oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, we opened the door for her all night long, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, eventually, you get some practice in, so I, gotta, well, I, I just got to shut the window so then she won't be interested in, in coming in here. But All right, now I'm going to open I'm going to open the door for you. Can I just leave it ajar for her? 
we let our cat have the um, the run of the house. We always have. You know, I'm 50. I'm only on my like third cat. I'm, I were hit years and years out of the cat. Yeah, yes, yeah, so my dog will be around for another 15 years. I, it'll be it's the closest I'll get to probably having a child. <laughs> yeah, same thing here. I had a turtle for like 25 years, fox turtle. That was pretty cool. That was, you know, you developed that relationship. So. so you're completely off topic there, but I can't remember what I was talking about. Probably just the fact that, like, now when I see a band, like, uh, I, I, was, um, down, I was down in uh, um, Delaware uh, playing Keith's for Cosmic, and the opening band, uh, Death Machine, I mean, they just went like full out with their look, and they had like, the, like, a, like a boiling cauldron on stage. <laughs> like this big pot with dry ice in there. And I was like, I totally respect this band. It's like, I don't even have to hear them. They were good. Oh my God. I just, they, the work that they put into it. So. Yeah, you don't. I think they're opening, I think they're opening for Comedy Christ too here in Philly, but I'm not quite sure. Are there, Double check that. Yeah, because you said uh, in one of your interviews, you said you would prefer to talk about other bands than your... Than I your... would. I would always prefer to talk about other bands, yeah. I would. I always find other bands more interesting, and then I always hope they'll talk about me. Um, but yeah, that's my job. I mean, it's only my job because um, the music press isn't doing their job. You know, the music press is telling you, and oh God, nothing, nothing against somebody like St. Vincent, you know. Sure, she makes wonderful music. Um, but... You, you you don't have to go out and look for her music. It's, it's there. It's kind of pushed on. Not pushed on you, but it's available. Um, you know, the bands I listen to aren't. And when I was younger, um, there, if you picked up a local free weekly, the really underground bands were written about. And that's not true anymore. So I feel that if there's this gap, I'm just going to fill it. And I'm going to talk about other bands that people should know about, you know, but don't know about. I mean, it's nothing sadder when I talk to other musicians and I'm mentioning these bands, and they're looking at me, and, and I'm like, you know, you're a musician. Your job is to go out, and the underground music is music that won't, isn't presented to you easily. You have to go and you have to look for it. That's my definition of the underground, something you have to look for. And, you know, so I, I keep thinking, unless somebody else does it, that's pretty interesting. Um, I'll mention to, uh, when I'll be doing an interview like a free weekly or something, and I'll bring up all these bands, and when I see the interview, they're all sort of cut out. Like they didn't want to write about them. I just think it's it's kind of odd and kind of creepy. What do you? It's, it's rock and roll Stalinism, which has been going on forever. So <laughs> what do you think? Oh, really? Oh no, I agree. Because like when I discovered the Dead Milkman and stuff, that was like yeah. there was like because uh, I'm like I think I'm five years I'm five years younger than you, but it was like Ooh. people would give mixtapes, and that's how I discovered punk rock. Up until then, I was listening to garbage. Yep. But there was like sort of a a movement of like, Hey, let's share and let's discover, you know, once, yeah. once you get in that circle and it seems like it would, with the internet, shouldn't we have more of that? But it seems like it's, yeah, I'm absolutely amazed by that with Bandcamp, with Spotify. I tell people like, look, you should be able to listen to this. And all anybody my age wants to do is either listen to, you know, dad rock, if I could call it, you know, Oh, let's, you know, here's, uh, I don't like the name of any bands. Because I, I always say these bands, and I always feel bad later on that they'll think I hate them. But there's, you know, there's this type of music I'm not interested in, like um, oh, like Mumford and Sons, for example. Um, you know, and, and that's an easy find. And people my age apparently like listen to it without thinking. You know, they're like, well, it's on the old person radio for you know people that <laughs> I, I, wow um, for people that liked. Uh, um, it's like this is radio for people that liked. 
the meat puppets and the misfits and any band that began with an M or social distortions like and and now have gotten older and they're they're ready for Mumford. So I'm so and it's also depressing to hear like twenty the stuff that people in their twenties are into, which is pretty much like easy listening. And I just want to shake them. I just want to like look here's here's an Eagle Likeness C D. Go home and listen to this or you know, here's here's some angel spit or here's you know Give them, give them some, some new, you know, like the, the laptop rappers like MC Lars or Adam Warrock or, you know, there's all interesting stuff out there. And it's just so being swept under the rug. Now, why, why, do, you think that, why do you think that is happening? Um, I have a lot of theories about it. I have, I have a whole lot. Of, one, I think it's where the money is. Um, I think it's easier to produce. It, it has been over the history of music, or at least from the mid to late 60s on, it's been easier to sell people on music that doesn't rock the boat, sort of non-political, easy listening. And also, a lot of people that listen to this stuff, this generation is the most consumer-friendly generation. And these are the kids that line up, the idea of community is lining up outside of the Apple store. So it, it's, you know, if you can take sort of nondescript music, and, and when you ask them about it, like you say, do you really like this band? Well, I guess. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I want to shake the hell out of them. I mean, I literally... I was in a Soul of Jesus. Soul of Jesus is brilliant. But for some reason, I guess she'd gotten, she'd gotten a good write-up in, um, oh, oh, Pitchfork, which is the death of music. Pitchfork's like a thousand times. <laughs> they're, so they're a thousand times worse than Rolling Stone ever was. Uh, it's, just, it's just a terrible, terrible, and it's all geared, at, again, selling the most sort of mundane, you know, but they had said nice stuff about Soul of Jesus. So, of course, these people turned out like, oh, Pitchfork likes her, we're going to turn out. And, like they're all standing against the wall, like acting too cool. And I just thought, wow, this is this is such like a non movement, you know? It's just such it's it's such a I will buy into well, I guess, I don't know, it's sort of apathy. And I thought, God, you know, I miss I miss punk rock where at least we all be on the floor beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> I was talking about that. My wife and I were talking about the fact that we have whole sections of this town that were built for hipsters now. And when we were, when punk rock was around, they would tear down the parts of town just to keep us out. Like, oh yeah, we, you know, we see some mohawks. Let's, let's level these buildings. So I think uh, my actual thought is that it's something that is really, really middle of the road, easy to control. It, 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 it's almost like selling the carpenters to people. And, <laughs> and it's completely non-sexual. It is, it is the most asexual music on the face of the earth. Uh, you know, all the girls, you know, are photographed with big, thick glasses and, and a giant sweater. And, you know, it, it, it's absolutely, if they saw Amelia Arsenic, they would just probably explode. But um, I'm just, or Shaquille, you know, I'm, I'm just fascinated by, like, and, and all, these, all these bands all think about, like, how great it would be to be kids again. And I think I never, ever wanted to be a child when, when I was a kid. You know, I, and now I'm older. I don't look back on childhood fondly. So it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's as if Twee took over. There was a revolution while I was asleep. I woke up <laughs> and everybody, everybody was listening to Twee. So it's, and Twee is like the, the music I hate the most. I hate that. I'm so sad. Won't you help me look at my shoes? God. Like, you know, and, and, and you compare that uh, to something, I like to quote Angel Spit a lot. And you compare that to something like, you know, my friends used to show off their cats. Now they talk about filling their bank vaults. You know, Mellow is a new fad. Your life, you know, um, your life is shit and it's all your fault. It's just absolutely, 
amazing. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, here these, or you got songs like Cubicle, or, you know, she's, there's all this great angry music, or uh, Caustic's Hands Up, It's a Raid uh, was one of my favorite songs come out last year. I, just, I couldn't get that out of my head. And that's such a great revolutionary song. It's just, you know, there's all this, there's all this fight music out there, and it just never seems to make its way to the radio. You know, you brought up two things that grabbed my interest is one, you said stuff about politics because you don't and even I don't even see it in like sort of um, a lot of I live in Los Angeles, a lot of underground bands. You don't see anybody being political or anger is another thing. It's like it's like if you if you're too aggressive on stage here, people react or passionately passionate even people really have a adverse reaction to it. I am absolutely amazed by that. I'm amazed. I still have this reasoning about, like, again, you know, the great stuff I like is, you know, like I said, the Angels Pit stuff, which is real. There's most underground music I listen to is really political and it's really fast and hard and, you know, and, and just pumping. And, and I listen to a great variety of what I call underground music. But I notice that the, the, what they call alternative is just so apolitical. And just so, you know, again, it's all, I wish we were kids again, you know, and it's devoid of any political content, which I think is why it's easy for them to sell it. In other words, if you had people out there demanding higher wages for workers and stuff, they have a tough time putting that on the air. (laughs) It's like, you know, music that doesn't rock the airwaves, you know, and just, you know, music that doesn't rock, non-confrontational music. And I was at a a club, we actually used it for a title for a song, and it inspired me. I was at a club. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine and, and a boyfriend, and he actually, he said the term, and we use this as a song title, I use it pretty music for pretty people, which is what it is. It's, 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 you know, here, don't, you know, you're non-confrontational. Here, enjoy this music. And it's just, you know, one guy, you know, aren't they quirky? They're from Brooklyn. He plays the spoons. She plays the mandolin. Oh, God. It's just, you know, and I hate to be like one of those people like, goddamn kids today, but goddamn kids today. I couldn't um, disagree more. <laughs> do, you, but do you think this uh, is also a sy- symptom of our, our culture on a higher level? Because I, I, I heard you say something about uh, you attacked um, a child beauty pageant. You said it's an easy target, but it should still remain a target nonetheless. And I was like, it should still remain a target. Yeah, why aren't people singing about this? No, I, I wonder, and first of all, I was I was I actually brought it up because there's a great short story by Harlan Ellison, who's such was such an influence on me from an anger perspective. Like Harlan Ellison never had like a really cheery cheerful day. I think he enjoyed himself, but there's but there was a short story I was reading when I was coming up with the, the lines for that. Um it was, I'd forgotten all about it and I found it again in the library and it was in like the reference section, so you had to take it out and so I photocopied it. So I sent it also to my mother who enjoyed these things. And the uh, um, it's called Our Little Miss, and it is such a great read. You know, and it, it's a great read because it's angry. He he takes his anger and he channels it, and he basically says, you know, how could at this point in time the Vietnam War is going on, and he's watching this child beauty pageant on the station in the south, and he's just getting angrier and angrier. And he's like, don't these people know there's a war going on? How could this stupid shit be important to them? And I just thought it's kind of weird. It's there's like no more anger in everything. It's like it's not okay to be angry anymore. And I'm angry all the time. And I wonder like how people wake up in the morning and take a look around and don't get angry. I'm absolutely fascinated by the whole thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's somebody was sawing outside my apartment. I was like, oh, please don't. Yeah, it was awesome. I heard that weird. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it was almost like two little throats thing. I wish I could sample that. <laughs> I was. I, I hope it's a serial killer chopping up a body. 
Is like, there you go. That's what I fantasize. It sounded to me, oh, okay, I'm expensive this all. It sounded to me almost like, like some sort of high tube, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, wow, that's killer, man. But, uh, yeah, well, that's my theory. I can't understand why people aren't angry. And I refer, I refer to Harlan Ellison a lot. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, I'm just often amazed. And, and again, I go into, into, into his mode. I'm not mad that like my band isn't famous. I'm okay with that. I'm mad that my friends aren't famous. I mean, I got friends that are making great music that should be out there. That should be, you know, that should be household words. And they're not. And I keep thinking, what, what's keeping them from that? And all I keep thinking is, oh, yeah, that's right. They're rocking the boat. <laughs> Do you think that's stuff that will get, uh, I don't know, appreciated later? Because it's... Oh, it always, it's, so, it's so sad. That's what another thing makes me angry. Everybody now who says that they were in the Black Flag in 1980 wasn't. They were all under the DBs and REM. Nothing against REM. I didn't like the DBs. But, you know, they were... They were in. The, I like the alarm. They were in the like the alarm. The sort of, and then we, and this is what I talk about uh, rock and roll Stalinism. The history gets rewritten. So the history gets rewritten to say, uh, will get rewritten to say, in this instance, oh, in 1983, everybody was listening to Black Flag. But if you went to a Black Flag show, there were like 60 people there. When they rewrite it again in 20 years, like, oh, everybody was at that Ivar and Spear show. Everybody was there for Ludovico Technique. Everybody, and, and that, that's the way it will happen. You know, I, I have a theory that, you know, Amanda Palmer will get her, her you know, recognition like 20 years down the road because that's just the way life is. It's just, you know, it's, it's everybody will pretend, oh, yeah, we, we totally had, we were totally with you there, totally, you know, totally writing about you and had your back. And I think anybody who's angry and, and political um, at this point is really shuffled off and, and there's a whole mechanism there. I mean, you're not going to play the big clubs. You're not going to get written about. You're not going to, you know, it, it's absolutely, you're so shut outside. Now, Kosick has that great line, which is uh, the other day when he's tweeting out, knock, knock, who's there? Industrial musician. Industrial musician who? Exactly. <laughs> I thought that was, <laughs> he's got that great, he's intense sense of humor, so, you know. Um, I'm supposed to be finishing a song for him. I got you. Oh God, I'm so far behind on shit. So you know, I got to um, at some point I got to get around to practicing tonight by myself, and then we got to practice tomorrow with the band. Uh, I didn't get a chance. I, I on Sunday I get into Zoom from Angels that got me doing this. There's a thing called church, which is on Sundays you uh, set up and you tell your friends you can't bother me, and you well, it doesn't have to be Sunday. Just any at one point during the week for a couple hours, you just do. You sit by yourself, no social media, and you work on your music. You make yourself a cup of tea. If you have some sort of lighting that you like, you set it up, you do it. But you just get yourself in that environment. And uh, because we've been working on the record and because my wife and I moved, uh, and then I DJed a week before last, and then this Saturday, a friend needed me for a photo shoot. I've I've not had a free weekend. And I won't get a free weekend again now until the middle of April. But I haven't had like a free weekend to have church. And I really miss church. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, thing to do because people people don't. I think that's also part of the problem with relating back to some of the other stuff we were talking about. People, but nobody takes any time to reflect anymore. Like nobody shuts down all their bullshit and says, "All right, I'm going to sit in a room and you know focus on yeah, one thing." It, well, it's also it's, it's a work ethic thing. I have a, I have a strong band work ethic. In other words, I will practice, 
I will write. I will say, okay, I've got to do this by this point. The problem is I also have a radio show. Uh, I DJ places. So it, it all begins to kind of cram together. And my wife was predicting this. She's like, you're going to totally burn out at some point soon. So thank God the, um, the, the paper I, I used to write for seems to have dropped me. <laughs> because that gives me, that gives me less money. But it gives me some, a little bit more free time. So maybe somebody else will hire me to pick me up and, and do that. Who knows? But uh, um, it was getting kind of boring anyway. So I can't say boring. I did enjoy it. But, you know, it was, you can only write about the same sort of stuff for so many years. I think I've been doing it for like five or six years. So. And was that more of a like a political? Uh... No, it was, it was a thing called Aid or Invade. It was a, um, I listened to music from different countries. And based on whether or not I liked it, I'd say eight or eight. That was the only rating system. I thought that was, you know, like thumbs up or thumbs down. There's no in between. And I thought that was that was a great way to rate things. <laughs> so I was like, you know, if I liked it, it was eight. If I didn't like it, it was invade. Um, and it was cool because I got to use it to kind of kick out. And I think one of the last things I got to tell people about was the Crystal System record, uh, which is freaking amazing. And so, and you talk about, now you talk about a fast Angry, political, brand new, exciting record. Crystal Systems Rage is it's amazing, and people would love it if they heard it. The problem is you're not allowed to hear it. It's not like you can't hear it. You're not allowed to. There are everybody is basically in the way of. I'm not almost like a crazy old conspiracy theorist, but every there's there's all these hurdles that you have to go through to hear this Crystal System record. And it's it's a great record. People should hear it. Uh, there's all this stuff that was released. I always put out my list of my top twenty list, and then the paper that I used to write for would always put out theirs, and theirs was basically just pitchforks copied over. But then again, NPR's was just pitchforks copied over. Uh, Rolling Stone was just pitchforks with. Co- and I'm thinking, well, it's interesting. You know, these people can't all really like this music. They can't like every. They all can't like everything here. Something's written. I used to also wonder. Why do they never seem to hear any of the music that's on my list? And, and am I actually reaching anybody? It's like it's really depressing, so I end up drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, where do you where do you find you like where do you find your stuff? Like where where are people going oh. wrong if they're not finding music? And what, what you want to do is you want to find. First of all, uh, that's a good question. There are a couple of great websites. I die, you die is a fantastic website uh, for and and covers a, you know, a, a wide range of underground music, uh, one called Intervenus Magazine. I tend to do it that way. But also right now, you know, you have things. Just, you know, if you're doing it on Spotify, it says, hey, if you like this, you might like this. Uh, I don't think that's, I forget, I, I doubt if that's how I stumbled. IMX are one of my favorite bands. I don't think I stumbled upon them that way. I can't remember. But if you, but if you go and you, and you pull up a couple bands, I say, now the system, it's, it's like a uh, 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 footnote. How, and footnotes used to lead you to you know to another book, and there'd be a footnote in that book that would lead you to another book, and that's like the cool thing about stuff like Spotify. You get these little things like, hey, if you like this, you'll like this. Oftentimes, it's wrong. I never liked Pandora because Pandora would totally get stuff wrong. Like, hey, if you like the dead, if you like the dead milkman, you'll like, and there'd be some band I really, really hate. You know, and I'd be like, no, make them stop, make them stop. So. um but it's it's been fairly close. But I I just generally that's why I have to go around telling people. I say, hey, if you like this Crystal System record, you'll like this IMX record. If you like that, you'll like Ibarden Sphere. If you like Ibarden Sphere, you're really going to like the new um, Surveillance, which is uh, and if you like Surveillance, you'll definitely like Assemblage Twenty Three. 
because if the um, um, here from Summers 23 is on surveillance. And also the great thing is now live bands are so intermingled, I can't even tell who's done what anymore. Like where one band begins and another band ends. I have like a chart that's all flowy like that and try to try to just establish like how one person goes and into another. I should speaking on a panel on Twitter world, I think about this, about how it, it's kind of hard to tell, you know, there's this big tendrils that go out there and, 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 you know, one band works with this person who also works with this person who works. My friend NC Lars, NC Lars has a, uh, Dogan plays guitar for him and he sent me out a thing and it was a great record, really good record that he did. And I was like, oh, the cover's cool too. He's like, yeah, it's this guy Steve Archer, do you know? I'm like, yeah, I know him. He's a Nico likeness. He's one of my good friends. So it's just this really weird um, point where where people just seem to keep meeting and it becomes this wonderful web of coincidence. That's what I think. That's why I think we're all going to win, maybe. <laughs> because now we're all kind of, it's like one big monster they can't kill. Well, they can get one or two of us, but they can't get the whole, the whole organism. It's like an octopus. Well, they can get a tentacle or two, but they're never, I mean, you know, like, that's the thing, is, is the other, the sort of, created mall bands or, you know, alternative bands are there. Um, you know, you, you probably take them out, out, you know, boom, one, they, they can't replace it. doesn't grow back, but we'll, you know, if I, if I, if I end, if the milkman fire me tomorrow, I could probably go into another band. So and I'd probably do it for my house. So, now, what do you think of like a lot of the bands? Because we were both uh, actually at the. I played FYF the festival in Los Angeles a couple of years when you guys did as well, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of that sort of. I guess it's not mainstream, but it's not. And forgive the. <laughs> I guess it's not fully oh, no, underground. It's pretty fucking mainstream. Yeah, no, it's not even underground. There are a lot of bands I like that were there. I like um, Olivia Tremble Control, Dan Deacon, who was actually you know really taken off and gets played in a lot of places. I, I like his work a lot. Um, cults I thought were good. It's just that when I look at these festivals, I think something's missing here. You know, and then I think, well, what is it? And obviously it's the underground band. You know, when I'm when I'm looking at these festivals, um there's like a thousand bands that I like where where the heck are um where the heck are like strip mall architecture? You know, why 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 aren't they on the bill? Um, you know, it's um I'm just here and go down the list. Boom, boom, boom. Where are Grendel? You know, where you know, where where are these bands that did very interesting things, uh, but I guess are, are too dark and electronic, or who knows what? And they have their own festival. I mean, obviously, there's Kinetic, which I'd love to go to. I've never gotten a chance to, and that's coming up in May. And uh, um, I just couple up in Vancouver. These have Summer Darkness, but I mean, here's the thing. You know, think a band like BMD Nation. Which is pretty well known. You're not the most radical band, but I, I and I know a lot of people didn't like the new record. Um, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it lived up. But you know, why can't you put like Gampy Nation on that bill? People will turn out to see them. They sell out places. They and and, and here's a band. That's another thing. Here's a band that sells out places that you're not allowed to know about. You're not allowed to know about BMV Nation. It's for some reason again, it's full electronic, and there's some political stuff in there, and uh, you know the kids. Might, and it may be because I don't know. It's because the singer from BMV Nation looks like me. He's middle aged. He's bald. He's heavy set. You know, maybe that's it. I don't know. But he doesn't stop moving. I'll give him that. I'm just I'm ten, I'm absolutely I've stolen so much from him. Um, I'm absolutely fascinated 
by, by like what now, like what we're not allowed to listen to. And, I, and these guys aren't trying not to be listened to. And if you go over to Europe, they're playing, you know, festivals and, and you know, big stadium things with thousands of people. And come over to the States, yeah, I mean, they get, you know, 2,000 or whatever, but still a good chunk of folks. I think if you had them, there should be on the bill, on a bill, you know, some, some representation of the underground. Nothing against, you know, the sort of uh, um, what they call alternative bands and, and all that. But I think that there's just, you know, and, and, and a lot of people, here's a punk rock band. And I said, well, what's the point of that? <laughs> um, you know, to me, like punk rock band, like modern punk rock bands are like seeing somebody churning butter. You know, it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, like a historical reenactor. <laughs> people are always yelling at me for playing, you know, synths and stuff. I'm like, well, I moved on. I got, you know, I can't keep doing the same thing over and over. So... That's just my take on that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting because, like, uh, the Dead Milkman took a uh, would it take? I guess you took a sixteen year break, and then and your music, yeah. the new music that I've heard uh, and which I love, but it's it is you get the Dead Milkman, but then you get some new, like you know, there's shit that's different yeah, about it. You couldn't expect us to, to, to because uh, you know, like. I at least, you know, started listening to new stuff. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I never trust anybody that when you go to their house, their record collection stopped the day they turned 30. You know, they have everything and that's what they listen to. And, like, that's absolutely horrifying. I just kept listening to music and, and it, it, and so the other guys, it just kind of became a pervasive thing. Yeah, we didn't want to make the same record. I think a lot of people were kind of disappointed. My, my, I actually think we could have made that last record a whole lot better. My wife, however, loves it. Oh, I have that one for me. My wife's like, that is the best Dead Milkman record. It's just so sparse and dark and angry. And I'm like, wow, okay, fine. Which it is. But I, I, so I look back on it, I think, oh, I could have tweaked this or done that or do this. So I'm, that's the way we've been in the studio lately. I'm like, you know, okay, well, we'll you know, when we write, you know, say, okay, I want to chop this here and we'll put this here and we'll move this here. And he can just send out some bells that he wants to add. Uh, to one of our songs that we're doing now. I'm like, oh, that's good. I always like bells. So I have some, some violin and cello in it. So it's, uh, um, it's not really a Rasputina song. So it's, uh, um, which is interesting because we have Melora says, on the last, that was another great thing. The last record had like a song about Melora Krieger, which I'm amazed that like nobody else has ever thought to write one. She's amazing. She's brilliant. She's, you know, a, a musical pioneer, but uh, nobody says, so I think, you know, if you're going to do that, you know, you should mention every now and then just throw out a hero for people to have. I'm hoping people went out and they weren't familiar with Rasputina went out and bought some Rasputina records because of that. So, find out. <laughs> I never heard from Melora on the subject. I don't know. I didn't know that her manager I wanted, I wanted Rasputina to open for us, and, which is really weird because we should be opening for them, obviously. But you know, I thought it would be nice to play. Well, we co-bill it, you know. And uh, um, I thought it would be great. And our manager um, offered him $300. I don't think he understood who they were. And I'm like, oh, I thought, I was like, no. So I wouldn't be able to show my face around Rasputina right now anyway, I guess. So, Are, are they a Philly that. band? No, 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 no. They're from uh, originally New York. Okay. Uh, I saw, I had one of the best, I've seen them come live. I had one of the best Halloweens ever where they were playing at uh, one of the Dracula's balls. And my wife couldn't make it. I went because I just, uh, I had a team, I was, you know, um, managing a whole team at work at that time. I had a lot of people, they tried to lay some of them off. I fought for them, and they, they didn't. So I'm, I'm feeling so good. 
and it's Halloween. So I'm, I'm I think I was wearing my devil horns here to my head at work, and uh, um, I was like, oh, that's it, I'm going out tonight. And Anna was so tired. I said, okay, well, I'm going to go see Rasputina. And so I went, and they wouldn't say where uh, they were playing, which is kind of a clever thing to do. So everybody's milling around, so I'm like, I mean, it's, it's packed. You know, in track to his ball, he can barely move. And I, was up, I went up in this car area because it's 21, so there's a little more breathing space. And just as I got up in there, the lights went on, and I was like three feet away from Rasputina. And they played this incredible show. And I was just like, probably, I know, I'm always, I'm always having a tough time like ordering out the best shows I've ever seen. But that was easily, I'm going to say easily in the top 20. And I was like, whoa, this is a great night. Uh, and then I was, in a, um, I was headed home. And I got hit, I was in a cab that got hit by another cab, just T-boned a little. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm just going to walk home the rest of the way. So I remember that night pretty clearly. Those are the great magical nights when you go see a band and they're, they're awesome. And that happens a lot, actually. Especially. Yeah, it's, I, I wish it happened. <laughs> I mean, in Los Angeles, it doesn't happen as much. I mean, once in a while. Really? Be, uh, well, I mean, a lot. if I go see a lot of the newer bands, I feel like it's a lot of... Uh, yeah. like Who's what. Bar Sinister? Yeah, I was going to say, usually a lot of my friends were at Bar Sinister, which I've never gotten to go to. Um, but they, uh, um, I imagine you get like a couple of good good wild nights there. So. <laughs> but, I just saw... I saw I saw um, back in over the summer, actually it melted my, my cowboy hat. Um, I saw Ego Likeness open up for uh, Leather Strip. And Leather Strip were incredible. And take nothing away from Leather Strip. They were amazing. But Ego Likeness had hit this show where everything was perfect. It was just absolutely spot. It was, it was, at, it was just really cool to be there. And I was like, whoa. And, was just, and they knew it. It was like they, they, they came off stage and they were just glowing and, you know, they, they really enjoyed it. And I, I was telling them, I was like, you know, a lot of people are afraid to get a big head. But give yourself, if you do a good job on stage, just give yourself a minute to say, yeah, I did a good job. You know, don't, don't try to say, well, you know, I did the best I could. No, say, look, I did really good right there. So I always tell bands that when I see them. I'm like, you know, you killed it. And uh, yeah, I did a um, band I really called um, Angels on Acid. And we'd gone to see Tactical Sect, and they were opening up for Tactical Sect. I knew nothing about them. And I knew I'd missed them play here in Philly at a record store uh, once before for the big rainstorm. I didn't go. Always go. Risk the rainstorm. Go. And uh, um, I was like absolutely blown away by them. Another great show. I was uh, anymore. I stumble on these great shows. I'm like, oh, that's really good. So, yeah, it, I haven't seen a terrible band in a while. I mean, I haven't seen horrible bands. I just it's something that's like visceral and you know. Like I saw when the Jesus Lizard did a reunion tour, I went and saw. Oh, yeah. I went and saw them, and I was like, "If the twenty-something-year-olds in LA could see this fucking band, like how aggressive they were, they'd either like that's." I was like, "That's how you should be playing, not like that." Like you were saying yeah. earlier, the the shoegazing. Yeah, I saw Scratch Acid, which you know was the was the first incarnation of Jesus Lizard, and I, I saw them Gibby on one side of me and Daniel Johnson on the other. And I don't think my brain has ever really come back from that experience. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they were, I would say Scratch Acid were probably, and I've seen like, you know, like Black Sabbath, you know, bands like that. I'd say, I'd say they were probably the loudest band I've ever seen. And they were absolutely, they, they were, and they were really good, but they were just jaw dropping loud. I was like, wow, this is really, you know, this is, this is really good. It's good and loud. You're going to play, 
play well. That's what I tell people. <laughs> now, it, you know, don't be ashamed of what you're playing. Play loudly. I don't say play loud. I say play loudly. I use an adverb. I, I appreciate that. Now, yeah. do, do people look at, like, at the Dead Milkman? Do they look at that? Because somebody referred to it as uh, a lot of political satire in one of the things I was reading. And I, it's interesting. Do you consider it politically satirical? Oh, yeah. That's my job on a Saturday. I'm not a musician. You know, I play instruments and stuff. But that's so why I'm a band. I'm a musician. I'm a satirist. I'm, you know, my job is to, is to make fun of stuff or to, you know, to, to do the best I, I can at, at diffusing things. If you, if you mock something, you take the power away from it. And, you know, if you had a pretty bad childhood, you grew up in a steel town, you're not, you know, you're, 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 you can either get, there's two ways you handle it. One is you can go and say, oh, I ate everybody, I ate everybody, which is kind of cool, you know, smash the steel town. But it, it's, or you can, you know, write a song that kind of makes fun of the steel town. And that's, you know, I'm really enjoying breathing in these fumes, or I am Iron Man because I've been breathing in, you know, iron filings and fumes for my life. And, and it, it's, uh, um, there's two ways to handle it. That's just kind of the way I handle it. I'm not so much interested in, although I did do a lot of political writing on the new record. But I'm, 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 every now and then I get, I get away from it. I'm just more interested in just basic songwriting. But every song is political if you think about it. You know, don't worry, be happy is political. It's just, it's the scary kind of politics. <laughs> Misunderstood, but you know what I'm saying. It's, it's uh, um, you know, everything is. People say, "Oh, why does music have to be political? Why can't music just be music?" Everything. You know, why World War Two? Why couldn't it just be about the tanks? You know, it's <laughs> everything. Everything is is looped in with everything else. So it's it. You know, it, it, you can't you can't just separate. You can't say. Oh, you know, I, I always was weirded out by that. People uh, complain about a band. So, well, to me, music is just music. I'm like, well, don't get out much, do you? Or you don't really, you're not good at making connections there, are you? <laughs> it's yeah. it's interesting because uh, I was, you know, you were saying that uh, when the Dead Milkman came out, uh, people hated you guys because you weren't serious. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. But to me, it's like it's really it's it's more brilliant that there's an element of fun, and yet <laughs> you guys were fucking super political, like right wing pigeon and songs like that. And it's like how yeah. do how did people fucking miss the irony at the time? I don't know. It always amused Joe. Joe was always fascinated. He, like, the, like the Joe, that's really funny. <laughs> like, ah, they don't, they don't get us, and that, that would make him happy. I don't know. I just remember people yelling at us because originally punk rock was just people not having fun. Well, not originally. It was when we came into it in the early eighties. It, it was people growling at you. It was like, uh, you know, it's futile, be alive, I can't wait till I die. I was like, well, nobody really wants to sign up for this. And we just began, we were just doing what we did. And we have been influenced by stuff like the Dickies and the Ramones. And so there were, were fun bands out there. Again, the, I compared it to stuff like Tostic or the Goth Sickles or, you know, underground music's taking that turn again towards the fun. And that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, I really, I, you know, I, I enjoy fun bands. I enjoy, like, like, I, I really like, there's a lot of really dark, angry bands that I like. Don't give me, I love them. But I, you know, and then I love to go out and I see something just plain goofy for the sake of being goofy or fun for the sake of being fun or just something that's, that's you know, um, I was pointing out MC Lars is like my most positive friend. And, and he does, you know, what he does is just so, it's hilarious to see him out there going like, joyous smiles, everybody. It's so subversive. 
and its way. And he and he has great political songs. He has you know has very sad songs. He has a song twenty three about a friend of his committed suicide, which is a heartbreaking song. Uh, so it's the the idea even and even B and when you go see B and B, they're making fun of themselves. You know they're you know Ronan's jumping around the stage. You know basically saying, look, you know um, if you don't know the words, that's okay. I don't know them either. You know so okay, the odds of getting them right. I just I just love that. I just I you know I think that there's Apparently, underground music gets serious every now and then, and then somebody just comes along and blows the piss out. I don't think like the the Velvet Underground. I don't think took themselves too seriously. I think they definitely had essentially people. I think mistake the idea that they were all you know gloomy and stuff. But I think they 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 kind of got how how strange their lives were. So. Yeah, it's interesting. A friend of mine who actually I interviewed as well was telling me that. What people don't realize about like Lou Reed is he was actually super neurotic. He wasn't like this laid back. Oh yeah, he was like he was like he he, exp- he described him as like he was almost Woody Allen esque, where he was like, "Should I do this and should I do this?" Like, should I do he that? wasn't like Johnny and, Cool. And then he, you know, is that great thing where um, oh, was it Lester Banks? I can't. I must have been Lester Banks ran into him like London, and and he's asking Lou these questions. And Lou was just being this wonderful, smart-ass Lou Reed. When Lou Reed was, I, at first I didn't get the Velvet Underground. I was like, well, like a latecomer to the Velvet Underground. And I didn't like them at first because, again, there was a lot of bands I didn't like because the people who were into them were just turds. And, and that's how a lot of turds were into the Velvet Underground. And um, I remember I was reading a book about them, and I was reading about how, well, first of all, they were, they were in. When I was younger, I read Edie's book about Edie Sedgwick. I was probably in, like, junior high. And my mom had read it, and I, I read it. And, uh, you know, so the Velvet Underground were there. So I had an idea who they were, and sort of an idea of their music. But I knew a lot of, you know, a lot of kids in school that, that were just kind of jerks like them. So I kind of, that, it's, it, it, it's the same way I came late for the Smiths. Like, I really like the Smiths now, but, like, you know, your, the early Smith fans were intolerable. And so the, uh, um, the Velvet Underground, I was reading this book about them, and... I found out Lou Reed had been kicked out of the um, ROTC for holding, for, for I think, for wearing wearing a, um, a German helmet and also for holding a pistol up to his commanding officer's head. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just wanted to hang out with Lou Reed. I was, when we were at the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh right after Lou Reed died, I remember, like, while I was on my way out, I remember they had this, movie screen with, like, Lou Reed's screen test on it. It was just a giant loop of Lou Reed. And I was just like, it's so so sad that, you know, he's gone. Because I, I, was, I was one of the people I would have loved to have met. I know he would have probably killed me. A friend of mine met him, uh, was was uh, uh, tour managing for Laurie Anderson, who he was married to. And he got to canoe with them in the Everglades. And I was telling my friend, like, did you, did you get photos or anything? Was, no, it was just... So surreal, like your mind can't process that you're in canoe with Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson. And I'm just like, it just made me like, you know, as if it were possible to like him even more. And maybe like Lou Reed even more because you, you know, okay, I want to go canoeing now. You know, I want to go out and do this. And it was like, I read, um, I'm a huge Patty Smith fan, and I read Just Kids. And, you know, you, you just love Patty even more. Just you really, you get her, you know, you kind of see where she was coming from even more. That's a great read. So. I rarely read rock and roll books, but every now and then I will. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is, you know, it makes you want to play more. So, if it's done right way, I wrote, I wrote a review of Richard Kells, I was a very clean tramp. 
I was that was a bizarre bizarre <laughs> So I mean I can't I can't even begin to give you the details on how odd Richard Hell is. Uh, what kind of books do you tend to read? Um, I tend to be like a nonfiction reader. Um uh, so um I've actually been unpacking stuff here. Um my God, I usually I try to read at least a book a month. A book a month club. Sometimes two or three more. I actually I'm a pretty diverse reader. I was just giving away a whole bunch of them because we moved. And I hate to have unless it's signed, I think you should give it away. And I, I have about a thousand books. Well a book just sitting on the shelf isn't doing its job. Remember I loan a book to somebody and they bring it back? I'm like kind of saddened. I'm like, you know, I think you're supposed to hang on to it and give it to somebody else. But I have a um I have a whole bunch of signed books that I would never part with. And actually, I was just kind of unpacking some of them tonight. And so, yeah, I'm like, I'm like a thousand books. I'm going to say, I'm giving away about 500 of them. There are certain things people have given me that I don't want to part with. And like I said, I mean, I have, I have signed stuff that's not ever leaving, you know, <laughs> doesn't leave my sight. <laughs> I think I hung on to the boxes when we were moving. Who do don't you, touch those. Who are some of the signed books? Uh, Donna Tart. I have a Donna Tart. I have a little friend and a, uh, um, a Secret History. I have uh, Patrick McGraw's Asylum, uh, signed by Patrick. Uh, I have, uh, oh, I have Camille Paglia's Sexual Personae. I have Umberto Echo's Full Coast Pendulum, signed by Echo. I have a couple of signed Christopher Hitchens. I have a lot of signed books. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I have a lot of, I, I, I'm lucky I live in a city with a big library that has um, people come by. So just, yeah, just getting the, uh, um, the, the Paglia, because she's so intimidating. And you, you know, it's like approaching a shark, <laughs> like a shark petting zoo. <laughs> like, can put the book down on the table, step back, you know, behind the line. Don't say anything because you know I'm so afraid that she's just going to cut me in two. Um, when I went to see, when I went to get the the last thing I had signed by Christopher Hitchens, um, I, the place was just packed. And they say, okay, then read the instructions. If you want Mr. Hitchens to sign your book, get in line here. And most people aren't good at following instructions, so I get in line. I, I know what to do. So even though I'm upstairs in this packed thing, I still get in the right spot. So I'm like the fourth person in line. So we're going through, and this, you know, Chris Richards is signing everything, and I, I feel I have to say something to him. So I just tell him that I'm sorry that his piece in Vanity Fair about the difference between women's sense of humor and men's sense of humor was misunderstood. Hitchens stops the line. And starts talking to me. And I realize I'm having this conversation with Christopher Hitchens. That's going on for about 10 minutes. And I begin to realize that the people who are waiting behind me are not happy. <laughs> I'm holding up the line. So I did like the impossible. And I said, you know, thinking, oh, Christopher Hitchens will be around forever. I, you know, thanked him very much. And I said, you know, these people are waiting and, and, and moved on. But it was, it was a really good conversation about, you know, how he was completely misunderstood in that article. Men and women do have sort of different senses of humor. And, you know, he, and, and in that piece, he pointed out one of my favorite things, which is the comic of the man sitting in the doctor's office. And the doctor says, there's no cure. There's not even a race for the cure. And it's just like, and, and Hitchens said, now it's nice if you put a woman there waiting in the doctor's office, it's not as funny. And it's, you know, it was this very interesting piece about the difference between senses of humor. It was misunderstood. People thought he meant women aren't as funny as men. You know, they, they totally misunderstood it. And it's, it's kind of a sad thing. I don't think Hitchens cared. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I know. Christian seemed to be happy before angry. And I remember that there was a, there was a piece. This is so sad. On Slate, like, this is what I told it, and, and I said, you know, I have to say, there was a piece on Slate. It was supposed to be like a rebuttal to your piece, and you know, so I was telling my, and I said, and get it, they had to have a correction because the woman who wrote it had screwed up the punchline to some joke she told in it. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that kind of, it kind of defeats the purpose. There, yeah, it was. That was a really, and it was one of those. You get those great moments where, like, you're meeting a lot of my heroes are sort of literary heroes. I get to meet people, uh, musicians, but I, I really there aren't a lot of um, you know, musicians left alive that I grew up listening to. There are a lot of musicians now that I'm a big fan of that I get to meet, and that's cool. And I'm you know really honored to meet them and hang out with them, and some of them become friends, and then that's that's awesome. But um, you know, in the presence of like. You know, people who've written books, I am just floored. I am, I cannot speak and I'm, I'm also like really, really scared. So I just go through and like boom, 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 boom. And, um, yeah. So Umberto Echo, that was, that was another one where you don't want to, you don't want to say anything to Umberto Echo. Just get the book signed and move on. <laughs> just, I saw some guy, because I have Foucault's pendulum and this guy, you know, guy beyond getting a sign, right? And the guy next to me says, could you give me like an outline of Bruco's pendulum? And Bruco Echo looks up and goes, "Why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just write an outline? Why would I write a book?" And he's like, "Why well, doesn't you know thick Italian accent?" I just thought that that was, you know, absolutely <laughs> fascinating. You know, it's like I, I, I would just write the book. I would not. I would not write it. But you know, I write, I write an outline. I would write a book. You don't need an outline to do that. But I'm just like, oh my god, I'm never going to get my book back. So, yeah, that's that's one of the ones I'm really. I really cherish because, again, you go into with authors, you never know what's going to happen. You go into that snake pit. And it's like, I don't have a lot of fine music. I have fine, I have stuff I collect that's fine by people, but I didn't get it signed. Other people got it signed. <laughs> I don't want to risk, um, you know, getting like getting killed or anything. So, and again, every time I think, every time I think I'm going to get somebody's autograph later on, um, you know, it's all will be around forever, like, you know, Frank Zappa or Joe Strummer. You know, they're not around forever. So my advice is people get the damn autograph. If you've got something, don't be afraid. Walk up. Say, you know, first of all, walk up and, and, you know, most nine times out of ten, musicians every love to sign stuff. You know, we love to meet people. Well, I love signing stuff. I will sign anything. Um, so boom, 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 bang, thank you. You know, you meet the person, say hi, and, and talk to them a lot. And that's, you know, it's cool. Um, it's because it's you're not going to get a Grammy. What you're going to get somebody going to tell you that you know you help them out in tough spot of their life, and and you know here we'll just sign this. That's killer. It's great. It's it's awesome. Anybody who gives you a hard time, if you go to gives them something to sign, they give you a hard time about it. Get rid of their music. Don't buy any more of their music. Don't because they're not worth listening to. They're not. You know if they can't appreciate that, and they're going to be jerks. By all means, just just chuck out whatever they have. I've never had the experience of, you know, going to meet somebody who was a hero and, and then being a jerk to me. So it's just, um, you know, everybody I've always met has been cool. I've heard horror stories about people going to meet their heroes and these heroes turned out to be jerks. But these people sound like they would be jerks in the first place. And you know, so screw them. People should not, you know, if, if somebody is rude, like demand an apology. Don't, don't stand there and go, oh, my God, my hero is rude to me. Punch him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop it. You know what I mean? 
you know, five or ten rock stars with bloody noses. We're going to cut that crap. And most of them can't fight. You know? <laughs> 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 Did you ever, ever see somebody just dancing trying to fight that guy? Boom, he's down. He's, you know, or Kurt Cobain where he tries to slap fight that, that bouncer and the bouncer just cold talks to I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know a single person that can fight. Belly could probably fight. But uh, he has one of that don't look like to fight. could probably take you. Like David Belly, Stephanie, when he was young, old, old, you know, thin and wiry, looks like he'd break if you hit him. That, that's who Belly can knock your ass out. Uh, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of rock and roll fight stories like that. Um, what was it? Um, Roger Daltrey, you know, had been apparently a street fighter. And, um, so, um, oh, what's his name? The guitar player, Pete Townsend, had been just, just needling him. Just, you know, they're riding for years. He's been a dick to him. And one day, Roger just poleaxed him. So boom! And, uh, uh, took him out. And they thought he killed him. They really did. He laid him out so flat that they had thought he killed him. And I think Pete Townsend was a lot nicer to Roger after that. So I think, yeah. <laughs> Every now and then, bands have to settle things with their fists, or they have to, you know, because men aren't good at, you know, aren't, aren't good at, you know, communicating any other way. So it's like, boom, oh, you're out, and then you feel better about it. That so it's over. I think you know? I think people would be a lot uh, less likely to be mouthy if they knew there was a punch at the end of their sentence. Because I think mean, they'd be a lot less likely to be dicks. I mean, you know, yeah. like, see the you ever see the one? I mean, again, I'm I'm not for hitting people. Except in certain instances. There's this great footage of John Glenn. Um, you know, it's Buzz Aldrin. I'm sorry, Buzz Aldrin. This guy comes up and he's giving Buzz Aldrin shit. He's one of those crazy, you know, moon landing conspiracy theories. And I always think, they were saying the moon landing was fake. But there were several moon landings. Were like all nine or ten of them fake? You know, like, <laughs> like what? Like they kept faking it. Oh, it's worked once. We'll keep doing this. And so it's, it's crazy to begin with. And it's really insulting to these brave men that risk their lives you know, to go to the moon. So the guy comes up and he's talking to Buzz Aldrin and he's like, you know, he's giving, and Buzz Aldrin's heard every crazy theory there is. And so he's kind of blowing him off. And the guy's like, you're a liar. And, you know, Buzz Aldrin, you know, lets that go by. But then he makes the mistake, he calls him a coward. He says, you're a coward. And that is apparently Buzz Aldrin's trigger word. And Buzz Aldrin, <laughs> this guy's like 30. Buzz Aldrin's like 78 or something. Buzz Aldrin just cold cocks the guy. I mean, the guy's like, the guy's, he lifts like, gets right under the jaw. The guy lifts off the ground. It's, you go, if you ever see it, it's on the web. I can watch it over and over. I used to get meetings with it at work. I would just show it. I would just say, okay, before we start the meeting, here's Buzz Aldrin. Old time. <laughs> and I'd be like, who wants to see it again? And everybody, I, I, I show it. If I show it again, I can just watch that all day long. Because the guy just did the wrong thing. Again, I'm not, I'm, I'm totally against violence. And, and not, but... I think if you're Buzz Aldrin, you know what I mean? Like you're a space traveler. There's a little leeway there. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, I think that's the funniest that's no problem. I've, I mean, most I've laughed in the two years of uh, me doing this fucking show. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm saying, if you get a chance, put that out and show people. It'll go immediately. Google Buzz Aldrin punches a guy. And <laughs> 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 again, it's, you know, it's like, that never gets old. That never gets old. If I look at that way now on my computer, and I want to buzz all over and punch oh, that guy. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen that in a while. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. It's, it's up there. It's one of my all-time favorites on you know, it's on the web that people... You know, look, if you type in Buzz Aldrin, I'm not kidding, into Google, <laughs> the second one is Buzz Aldrin Punch. 
Wow. That is awesome. Yeah, here we go. And I have it from a couple of, well, the guy's name is Bart um, C. Brow, who we punch. So, I could, yeah, this is really good. Well, that poor go bastard and, has to go the rest of his life, you know. Yeah. Now, he now got, he's getting recognized. Yeah, he got co-cocked by, 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 you know, Gramps. Yeah, I got it out there right now. This is great. Nice pantsuit, lady. Uh, here we go. Oh, here he goes. Boom. Yeah, it catches him on the side of the face, and the guy just staggers back. Yeah, I wish we could see more of it. They, 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 and it got sort of looped out here. Yeah. Yeah, don't ever call Buzz a coward. There's some, a good lesson there. Yeah, I mean, again, you don't like to, you know, I don't like to see anything happen. So, you ever see, like, a guy... Like just you know, getting a woman's face and the woman knock him out. I love that. You know, you know, guy threatens a woman and winds up with a mouthful of broken teeth. I <laughs> which you know, <laughs> I saw that one time in uh, um, oh god, I saw uh, we were in Ocean State, Maryland. Some guy yells some racist thing, you know, some black guy, and you know, guy just turns around, boom, takes him out. I'm like, I am totally down with that. <laughs> I am, I am so glad <laughs> because really, there's no, there's no logic that you're gonna. You know, you come across somebody racist, you, you better hit them. <laughs> My advice. Well, Rodney, I need to uh, wrap oh. it up if that's acceptable. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I got to get I got to get some practice in. Yeah, I got to get, oh my gosh. Yeah, I wanted to get some practice and I wanted some sleep and I, I did not, I'm so far behind on sleep and stuff. That it, and I lost an hour over the weekend, which sucked too, so. And I suppose you all stuff done on, on uh, um, Sunday, but my wife talked me into sleeping. So, all right. Well, I enjoyed this very much. Uh, before we before we end, can you please uh, yep. plug where people can find? Uh, I would love it if they could plug where they can find your music and also uh, some of the places that uh, they might seek out these bands again uh, that you've mentioned. Oh, uh, um, the show. Yeah, you can just go to just go to deadmilkmen dot com. Uh, you can find our stuff. It, you know, it'll lead you to it, and everything is there. Um, bands that, um, let me just throw a couple bands at you. I should have my list up from, or just who's been on my show lately. Um, I just want to say Crystal System, uh, their, their record Rage. If you like loud, fast, aggressive music and very clever, and there's a, um, they even have a female singer, young lady sings for them. Um, they are really, really, really good. And I can't recommend that enough. Uh, there's a, um, I mean, who else? Uh, IMX, who I mentioned earlier, uh, come through occasionally. Uh, so, uh, Assemblage 23, fantastic. Uh, Caustic, Ego Likeness, uh, Angel Spit. Just, just one of these bands will lead you to another band. And you'll, keep, you'll go from, you know, from, from thing to thing until eventually you'll stumble across Faderhead's Fistful of Fuck You. And you want to take a break right there. Take a little break <laughs> with Fistful of Fuck You. And then get back into it and then maybe check out like, the, the new Dissector record, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all this great stuff. My wife is a big fan of a band called Santa Hates You. I uh, have a great song called Panic. They have a bunch of great songs. They have a great song called Panic uh, Town. And they also did a song uh, with the Gospicles called Look Out, Motherfucker, I Know Karate, which is, you know, you, you need to hear that to, to believe it. Um, and, of course, there's, you know, stuff out there like Mindless Self-Indulgence, which a lot of people have heard. I really like them. Uh, there's there's, there's a, a ton of good stuff. They say they like uh, sort of, you know, stuff with a sense of humor. Definitely check out, and as good, check out the, my friend Caustic, uh, who's absolutely amazing. So, yeah, there are. And also, oh, um, the Go Fight record, uh, which came out, Music for Military Torture, uh, has a song on it, Pussy Grinder. Absolutely amazing song. Uh, the whole record itself is, is really, really good. So you, you, you would enjoy that. So that's that's pretty much, and that's, this is bands off the top of my head. So listen to a lot of music, people. Great. I th- thank you very much for taking well, Thank time. you. No problem. All right. 
Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you enjoyed the show, uh, please, if you can, I understand it's a tough world we're in right now, go to the page there on feralaudio.com. Uh, you could donate us some money, and, and we can, uh, you know, that helps us pay for equipment and recording and buying periodicals so I could read and interview guests and be smart. Uh, keeps our lights on at feralaudio.com. Feeds us, feeds us really. Like the basic is we eat, and uh, that's really the we're starving artists here. If you can't uh, afford to donate, I totally understand. You could, there's also an anima, uh, Amazon link. You can go through that. You could buy some bullshit for yourself. Buy yourself Uncle Buck. Uh, buy yourself the Hannibal, Hannibal series, like I mentioned at the top of the show. And, uh, you know, we get a kickback of that money, and that helps us out. And you get to buy some treats and gifts for yourself. Follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer at Twitter.com. Uh, please write a review on iTunes if you can. Give it five stars. It really helps us out. Um, the more help we can get, the better. We're doing this for free. And the love of podcasting, and I do it because I love uh, the honor of talking to dudes like Rodney Anonymous. Thank you very much for listening. I love you very much. Explore the other shows on Feral Audio. I love you. Thank you. Be the truth.
branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.